The world didn't need another hockey podcast. It needed a better one. Bear witness to the two-man forecheck. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. We are uh, here on a Monday night after the Bruins got uh, taken to the woodshed by the Red Wings. Mostly because they didn't show up for the first, I don't know, 30 minutes of the game. Well, it depends. Oh. I mean, they played them back-to-back games. Which game are we talking about here? Game two. Ah. Like, Sunday, they just did not. They literally just did not show up in the first half. They had two good shifts in the first period. Maybe one in the first five minutes of the first uh, of the set, uh, like they just no, it, it just there's a lot of reasons for it, and we can get into that later. Um, while we're busy congratulating them for other stuff, but <sighs> really frustrating to watch. Um, even the even allowing for their record, but there's there's actually a lot going on in hockey right now. You got the Hockey East semifinals coming up this week. Um, there's an investigation uh, going on at Harvard's uh, at Harvard for their women's hockey program as seen in the globe, as seen in the athletic. And we're going to talk about that. Uh, That's one of our big topics for the week. Uh, Rookies have come up. Alan Walsh is of course, objectively and nonpartisanly treating uh, tweeting about a draft (laughs) prospect. Alan Uh, Walsh. Hmm. Yes. He doesn't doesn't do that that sort of thing. thing. He doesn't. Of course he does. He he doesn't back it. I mean, he backs the players that he, but he he would never go so far as to, I don't know, claim that a team is stabbing one of his uh, uh, representative players in the back or anything. No. Alan Walsh wouldn't do that. I don't get me wrong. I love Alan Walsh. I think Alan I mean, Walsh if, is a legit hockey treasure. Um, if they like him or hate him, like if you really, 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 really want to oversimplify it to death, he's somewhere between the Brad Marchand and Tom Wilson of sports agents. Like, oh, I was I was gonna put him somewhere in I was gonna put him somewhere in the Tortorella category, but okay. He is absolutely vicious when he's um, vexed, like absolutely vicious. Like Chris Pronger hit vicious. Um, I did see a tweet from him, and I think it related to Jonathan Drouin, and said somebody DM me when you know if you find this player, please DM me or something like that. <laughs> Ouch. Um, yeah, I was, I was kind of, I even I was kind of. I'm like, it was, it, it, it was a picture of a fan holding a Druan jersey, and Alan Walsh, and Alan Walsh put the comment, "Someone please DM me if you find this player or something like that." But he never stops advocating for his guys. Oh no, no, no. It, it, he's, <laughs> If, that, if you're looking for somebody to represent you, <laughs> if he takes you on as a client, for good or for bad, he will never stop talking you up. 
as far as I know, he he's still out there talking up Yaroslav Halak too. So um, I've seen, seen tweets recently about Yaro. So we've got uh, some rookie talk, Jonathan Quick. Um, there's some milestones. Um, and I'm sure we'll end up wandering through a couple of other topics uh, during the show. Where do we? Oh, GM hot seat. Um, and already uh, the dominoes have started to fall. Uh, we talked last week about the retirement uh, in in Nashville. Uh, there's been a firing this week, and I suspect there's three, possibly four guys outside the bottom of the league for the most part who you might see uh, turned over sometime between now and uh, the first week or second week of the playoffs. Okay. So where do we want to go first? Uh, If it wasn't linked to another story, I'd say let's talk about the domino that fell, but – we can start there. It's a worthy topic uh, to yep. open the show with. Okay, sounds good to me. Then let's go there. So, uh, Chuck Fletcher no longer a part of the uh, of the Flyers organization, but I am sure he will forever live in the hearts of of fans and ownership and all of the players who he's uh, doomed to a mediocre roster. Um, that said, interim GM, interim GM Danny Briere, yes, the former player, uh, is has said the Flyers will need a rebuild, um, and that's of course causing speculation about well everyone on the roster. Um, Carter Hart is the subject, uh, or at least the focal point of. Something a uh, hockey news article. Something tells me that certain players are not going to be made available, such as Joel Farabee. Um, I think it depends on who the new GM is. Morgan Frost. Uh, is it Morgan? Is that his first name? Uh, that would be Morgan Frost there, yes. Yeah, I'm thinking some of those young guys who are carrying not the heaviest contracts are probably going to be kept around to build upon. Well, so the players that every, the players that everybody, one or two big contracts kept too, because you have to get to the cap floor. Yes, but when you look at their asset, when you look at their assets, they have one first round pick this year. They don't have a second round this year or next year, although they have two firsts next year. Um, you look at their prospect pool. Um, the three goaltenders on their uh, like depth. Chart, 33-year-old uh, Troy uh, Grosnick, 26-year-old Ivan Fedotov, and then 23-year-old uh, Samuel Urson. The younger two are obviously on their uh, entry-level contracts. But these are, <sighs> to put it politely, these are not high-end prospects. Urson okay. is a Swede, 6'2", 176. Drafted in the fifth round in 2018, um, has played exactly one or 10 NHL games, has an 898 save percentage, um, has not played and has played about 40 
36, rather, AHL games with a, with a barely over 900 save percentage. And Fedotov, 26-year-old Russian, 6'6", 200, picked 188 back in 2015 in the seventh round. No North American games to date. Um, his, I might, it, he's only on a one-year contract, and he's still, like, he played in North America yet. Now, I do have a question. Go. And I understand that, you know, they don't have this draft pick that uh, they have a first, they don't have a second, you know. I I don't mind blaming Chuck Fletcher for some of this, but the performance on ice, the performance of the players, at what point do you stop and say it's not Chuck Fletcher's fault, it's the players' fault? It's the, you know, unfortunately, yes, the GM, the head coach, they're usually the dominoes to fall because you can't fire. Well, you can, but yeah. At what point do, can you not blame the GM for everything that happens. I mean, firing the GM and bringing in a new one is going to solve what exactly? Not a whole lot because now you got, you got Danny Briere coming in. Hopefully. I mean, Fletcher was there from December 3rd of 2018. Yeah. Until March 10th. Um, Ron Hextall was there. May of 2014 <clears throat> to November of 2018. He's running his own dumpster fire in Pittsburgh, though. Yes, he is. Ooh, did I just say that out loud? I mean, but that's part of part of the like part of. I'm willing to give Ron Hextall more liberty there than I am in in Philly because he was like. You can't trade. You can't touch certain players on that team who should have been traded while they were still assets. Um, because that's a it's a market where if you're not winning, no one is watching and no one is showing up. Period. I mean, in Boston, people are going to watch Bruins hockey if you literally throw the uh, throw like three guys from the alumni team who haven't been in the NHL in 20 years. And a bunch of high school kids out there, as long as they're wearing the supposed to be. Well, Rutherford, Rutherford is the one that <clears throat> decided to quit, resign, because, as he put it, he wasn't allowed to do his job. He wanted to, and one of the big deals that did come to light was that he wanted to deal with Tang for Vince Dunn at the time, yep. who is now playing in Seattle and is a key piece for them. Uh, so I understand the frustration. I understand no. the frustration of not being able to move players, but I don't think Chuck Fletcher had that problem in, in Philadelphia. He didn't. And there was a lot of mess to clean up, but the team is not, I'm not sure the team is as good as it was when he arrived, and it's certainly not better. Okay, fair enough. I mean, as for how much is the players' fault? 
some of that, again, yeah. Nobody likes playing with teammates they know are not ever going to be healthy. They know are clock punchers. Um, I mean, I'm not, I'm not, I don't, I'm not in that locker room. I, I don't even pretend I'm in the locker room or that I know every player and what they're capable of. But let's talk about players who you can take a look at and say, is this really an NHL player? <laughs> because okay. there are some incredible athletes who make up for their complete lack of talent. And when I say talent, I mean understanding of knowledge of and aptitude for the sport versus reflexes and speed and strength and agility as in as athleticism um, who just should not be in the NHL because they don't understand hockey. Okay. I think that there's one or two players who you can say that about who have gone through NHL, NHL systems. You know, I don't believe that nepotism plays as big a part in drafting of NHL players and development uh, as other people. And he's actually having his best career uh, season to date. But when you look at Owen Tippett. Yes. Do you think he really would get this many chances if his name were uh, Owen Johnson and not related to a well-known coach? Uh, Probably not. Um, Because he's not especially large. He's only six feet. He's not especially fast. On pace for 20, like he should trip, fall, and hit 20 goals this year. There's even an outside chance at 25, which would be awesome. But he had three seasons of doing not very much in Florida. He only had 18 goals across the 100-plus games, 117 games he played before getting before this season. Last year was a full season. He spent at least 50, he spent at least 13 games down with the Charlotte Checkers. Um, is he a guy who's actually gonna make it? He might. I saw a lot of I saw a decent amount of footage for him uh, when he was in his draft year. I think that he's probably. Got the raw ability, like the raw athleticism, but then there's the question of one of the things that has always irritated me about certain GMs and scouting staffs, and it changes a lot because scouts move around and you don't necessarily know uh, where someone worked before. Some teams don't pay any attention to player 
health when drafting. And there were guys who were just always injured. Always injured. So, I mean, and but that even even in the athletic article that that, that spells this out, and it, it it says right here the statement we released Chuck Fletcher from his uh, president general manager duties, grateful for his hard work and dedication. We wish him nothing but the best. And, and they they go on to say Chuck faced significant challenges during his time as president and general manager, including some that were outside of his control. But we have reached a point at which we must move in a different direction and look to the future under new leadership. End quote. So the 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 ownership is actually telling you that they recognize that some of what happened was out of his control. Yes. And and, I and they that- go on to spell that out. It, you know. He had to deal with Nolan Patrick's status as a draft bust, uh, you know, Oscar Lindblom, Oscar Lindblom's cancer diagnosis, the pandemic, Carter Hart's collapse in March of 21. It, it, there are Nolan things. Patrick, that, Nolan Patrick had those injury issues before he was drafted. Yes. If you do not want to take that player, no one can force you. You can take one of the offers to trade down you can use that uh you can use that piece to trade for an active player or a pair of prospects from a different team i I think that one of the one of the things that i think led to part of chiarelli's defeat here in boston Mm -hmm. was i think taking tyler sagan and having him turn into an off ice issue, mm-hmm. shall we say? Um, well, I no, I agree with that. And if you look at the, if you look at the 2017 draft, it was all about Heeshear or Patrick. Who was going to go first? Who was New Jersey going to take? They took Heeshear. Philly took Patrick. The next three, the ne- I'm not even going to go through the whole draft. Just the next three picks, three, four, and five. Would Philly have been happy with Miro Heiskanen? <clears throat> Yep. Wait, wait for it. Number four, some guy named Kale McCarr. Over the moon. Or number five, some rookie of the year named Elias Pettersson. Yep. They, I fact, don't. I mean, yes, I get. But is that a scout? It, again, is that a is that a Fletcher thing, or is that he listened to scouts, or he, you know? And actually, the Owen Tippett you're talking about was actually taking tenth in that draft by Florida. Yes, but even I think it's a I think it's something the the NHL and I think it and we'll just say the hockey community in general has a tendency not to stir the pot or rock the boat or pick a euphemism. If they had gone off the board and drafted Nick Suzuki instead of Nolan Patrick. Well, Nick Suzuki was taken 13th in that draft, so. But I think I, I <laughs> certainly be very happy with him. Oh, uh, looking looking at this looking at this first round, there's plenty of names they would have been happy with. Um, Suzuki being one of them. Um, Josh Norris, Philip Heedle. Uh, they really wanted to be bold. They could have taken Jake Ottinger. Jake Ottinger went just before they took Morgan Frost. Um, but. 
you have options. You need the moral courage to take them. And you need to be more concerned with what is best for my program and what do I know about this player? Sometimes I, sometimes I wonder if they get uh, – if I mean, we're all human. I wonder if the GMs sometimes get caught up in, like, this year is the Conor Bedard or in years where it's Conor McDavid versus Jack Eichel. You know, you get so caught up that if you're picking second, you're just waiting for whichever one falls to you, and you actually stop looking at what other talent there is because you have to take one of these two guys because you're picking second. And that's the other that's the other load of horse mucky that the NHL swallows whole perpetuates and will swear on their mother's grave is true and the best thing ever. We're gonna take the best player available. Okay. If you're the Boston Bruins this year and somehow at the draft you trade out for the number three pick. Now, this isn't the year where there's any top defensemen there. But say the next three, next five best players are all defensemen. Is it actually in the Bruins' best interest to take a defenseman there? Or if it's a goaltender, is it in there, knowing what we know about their goaltending depth right now, is it actually in their best interest to take, the, to go, to take a goaltender there? No, it's not. I'm thinking that they might want to look toward um, securing a center, pos- <laughs> a, a center position since you're losing your number one and two. If not this year, definitely next year because I don't – and I, I can't speak for Bergeron or Krejci, but they're also on the back nine as far as hockey years I know. Concerned. Bergeron is 37, has 24 goals. Still has a reasonable shot at what his fourth or fifth thirty goal season. <laughs> More than a reasonable shot at his sixth and he's not award. a goal scorer. Like if you ask people to give you five things about they like about Patrice Bergeron's game, you ask fifty people, goal scoring is not going to come up twice. Like you ask anyone associated not, with the NHL, scouts, coaches, general managers, players. Not as the number one thing anyway. It might come up as three number, or four. It's not coming up as number two. It's not coming up as number three. It might come up as number four or five, but it's not coming up more than three times total in those 50 reasonable hockey experts. Oh, it's just maybe, not. Maybe defensive play, face-off abilities to take face-offs. Understanding of the game, his <laughs> passing is going to come in ahead of that, his calmness, yeah. his durability, um, his like perfectionism and the way that he has improved multiple parts of his in-game across his career. Because he was a terrible skater when he came into the league in 2003. He was a terrible skater, like well below league average. At 37 years old, he is a better skater than he was at 20. Oh, wait. I got one for you. I promise this is the last name I'll throw out. Go ahead. Would they have been happy if they had taken, and this kid went 39th overall, so second round, would they have been happy with some kid named Jason Robertson? I, they might have. They <laughs> might not be crying too much about it today. Instead of Nolan Patrick. Oh, to redraft this draft, it would be so... We we should do the 2017 redraft over the summer 
Because Jason Robertson's definitely not going 39th to anybody. <laughs> I, I suspect he will creep into the top 10. Just a hunch. I mean, there's a couple of guys that I would leave there, like Patterson and McCarr. But yeah, I don't think I don't think Robertson's falling to 39. That was, I don't know, Dallas had a horseshoe somewhere implanted or something. But <laughs> I mean, even going all the way down to the fourth round, and you know everything. Oh, is, I hadn't looked that far. I just everything is very crapshoot when you get that far down. Yes. You have Jeremy Swayman in the fourth round that year. No, they had they they had Carter Hart. They they thought they had the future right there. So, so have uh, Drake Batherson in the fourth round. Yeah, um, those are two guys who I don't know when we redraft. I they're going to be on my short list for rearranging into the top thirty or top thirty two. I guess uh, although it was only thirty teams at the time this was drafted. Yes. No. Anyways, we'll do that over the summer, listeners. Thank you. Um, but it'll be interesting. <laughs> I, I think that for the players, a little bit of despondency, and that's not the same as complacency, but a little bit of despondency plays part because when you look around the locker room and you see guys who have never done it, who have more experience than you, or, you know, been in the league five years or and just never get above mediocre, assuming they even climb that high. <laughs> it's it's going to be hard to believe that you can go out and win enough games to make the playoffs and to not be embarrassed when you get there. Because, quite frankly, I know this sounds weird. I'm willing to bet you that there's a good percentage of players who would rather not make the playoffs than make the playoffs and lose in the first round. Whether they'll admit it or not, completely different thing. Yeah. (laughs) But the extra time travel or injury risk, time away from the off-season preparation, yes, everyone's competitive. Yes, everyone wants to once they're shot at the cup. But if you know you can end your season three weeks earlier and get that extra time in for rest, training, vacation with family, playing with your dog, your kids, your cat, whatever it is uh, you do in the off season, versus knowing that your last game of the season is going to be a loss and you're going to have to break up the team on a bad note, there's a decent percentage of players who are who would be more comfortable with ending their season after 82 games than, you know, four, five, six, seven in the playoffs. Will they admit it? No. Do I care? Also, no. I guess I guess the, 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 the final question is, is Danny Briere prepared for because if they're admitting to there's going to be a, a rebuild and. It says right in the athletic article that Chuck Fletcher was not hired to rebuild the Flyers. He was not hired. He was not hired given the impression that this was going to be a rebuilding team. I don't know that he's a guy. I don't think he's a rebuilding GM. No. But the question is, is an interim 
fresh faced, never been a GM before guy, a rebuilding GM either. I don't know that he's the wrong answer, but I'm not sure. But until sure you find the- a GM who has done a rebuild, you can't prove that they someone can or can't. Given the current roster, I think the one guy. I think the one guy who qualifies already has a job. So. Age of twenty-seven. Like I, I might trade everyone over the age of twenty-six. <laughs> like Brendan Lemieux gone. Thank you. Well, uh, Couturier might be a little difficult since he signed through. What's your favorite phrase there? The heat death of the universe. Yes. Okay. Um, uh, Kevin Hayes gone. JVR. He's done at the end of the season. If I can flip his rights at, uh, at the draft, yay. Um, Everybody was surprised he didn't move at the deadline. So uh, Nicholas Delarius, okay, I might keep him. Uh, he does have a no-trade clause, but he's got three years of term. That might get me a second-round pick for him. Um, Brendan Lemieux, the UFA. If I, again, if I can flip his rights at the draft, or if I can trade him next, if I can sign him for a two-year and trade him next year as a rental plus, gone. Um, I'm looking at their defense and how much money they've got tied up in their defense. There's actually a higher percentage of the cap in their D than there is in their forwards at this point. Because you, Pro- yeah. you got Provorov six and three quarters for the next three for this year and the next two. You got Ristolainen. You got Anthony D'Angelo for two years at five. I mean, Provorov is on that cusp. If you're, if I mean, for the most part, you're normally bouncing everyone 27 or older. Well, if you're going to do that, then yeah, most of the defense, except for Ristolainen. And did you know Ristolainen is still under 30? Wow. Yes. He's been around. It feels for- like he's been in the league 10, 10 or 12 <laughs> years, but. No, he probably he probably has been in the league for ten years. That's the issue. I mean, the fact that he's only twenty eight to me is he's one of those guys that I could have swore he was older. No, <laughs> actually, yeah, you, he probably has been in the league ten years. But Provorov just turned twenty six back in January. Um, Ristolainen uh, turned twenty eight back in October, and his first season was the thirteen fourteen season. So yeah, he's. Nine years in the league. Next season will be his 10th. 667 games played so far. Here's Now, here's a trivia question. Uh-oh. Yes, if, he did have the worst uh, plus-minus last year or two years ago. If, oh, if, if he can be traded to a reasonable team, not even a great team, just a reasonable team, can he play long enough or well enough to get his plus-minus to even or better in five where, years. Where is it currently at now? He's a career minus 177. In all those years in Buffalo, and that's it? Wow, okay. That's better than I expected. <laughs> well, one of those years he was a minus 41. Yes. Which is ouchie-inducing. But uh, I would probably trade everyone I could over the age of 26. <laughs> Excuse me. Um, no, and I and I agree. You, you, this team, if it's a blow up, then you know you're taking the C four to this team. Yeah, you're going to be getting rid of a lot of older play. A lot. I'm not saying all, but a lot of older players. And you're going to be hanging on to a couple. You're probably going to be saddled with uh, Sean Gutierrez and his deal. I mean, I know that he's 
out now. He's got a no movement clause. But his, the length of his contract till the twenty nine thirty season. Yes, twenty nine thirty season. Yep. <laughs> uh, but he's he's keeping you above the cap floor. He's a solid player when he's healthy. With the no movement clause, you're probably stuck with him. You're stuck with you're probably stuck with Cam Atkinson for the next two years. Um, and I mean, depending on when Thomas Konechny or Travis Konechny comes back he's and a, how he looks when that happens, um, you know, he might not, uh, you might be able to move him, but you still, again, you still need to get to the cap floor. Yeah. And that's, and I understand that. And it's obviously going to go up as the cap goes up, the floor is going to rise as well. So I get all that. I'm just is Bri- I'm just questioning whether Briere is ready for it. What you know? What has he done before that's going to See, I, put him in I a position want, to succeed? I, in my opinion, I kind of want fresh eyes and a fresh take. Like what some of the retread GMs have proven that they're just failures in general. Like I said, the one guy, the one guy that comes to mind already has a job out in Vegas, and that's uh, Mr. McPhee. I, I mean, you can you can make the argument for McPhee and for Iserman, and that's probably it. But I they mean, both, Sweeney, they both have jobs. <laughs> if Sweeney, if Sweeney's uh, team wins the last game of the season, you can add him to the list. Even though the first four years of his administration were pretty terrible. Um, yeah, I don't know what I don't know what they did to change. He's the last couple of years with the moves this year, the moves last year. But yeah, his first four years as a general manager were not bleeping, 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 not, bleeping, not, bleeping, terrible. Not good. <laughs> somewhat less than uh, somewhat less than acceptable. Um, but onto the GM hot seat. Yes. This is why I said it links to something else. <laughs> I have a short list of three and a not quite short list of four. Um, you mentioned one of them. And that's on the lo- not quite short list. But Mr. there are Mr. three Mr. There, I think that's possible. Not necessarily because of him. But because the team was purchased this year. Ah. Um, and that's an ownership group that loves to play Moneyball. So whatever their hockey machine equivalent is of the one that they use for the Red Sox, it might be the new general manager. But my shortlist. Uh, do you have any? I'm. I'll just go. Brad, for leaving. I, I. Brad was the first name I could come up with, only because what is going on in Calgary? I see. This is one of those cases where I think that the. I firmly believe that while he's made good moves, he is less than the sum of its parts. Like there are some, you put some groups of people together, and they perform above expectation noticeably. You can take that first year Vegas team as the prime example, or this year's, for that matter, this year's Seattle team. They're well above expectations. In either case, 
And then there are some teams who perform below that. Nazem Kadri, I have talked about liking this guy since he was in Toronto. Um, Jonathan Huberto, meh, never been huge on him, but he's got he's got skills. But like he's a skilled player. Period. I I'm I don't want to say the jury's still out, but is it is it a I mean, neither team, either Florida or, and we've talked about this before, neither Florida nor Calgary has appeared to reap the benefits from the trade. Yes, Matthew Kachuk is having a really good individual season, really good individual season, a borderline heart conversation season, depending on who you ask. Huberdeau's not at that level, but... Neither team has neither neither player has raised their team to the level of uh, playoffs. But that's that I think is more on the general managers than either. Well, it's definitely more on the general managers than either player. There were what six notable departures from the Calgary roster last year, and Huberdeau's the only player who comes close. Uh, Huberdeau and Kadri are the only two players who come close to covering the gap left by uh, Goudreau and Kachuk. So, but here's the comparison. Calgary and Florida both played 67 games. Both have 73 points. Both teams are outside the playoffs. Calgary is a plus two goal differential. Florida is a plus three goal differential. They're almost identical at this point. Yes, they are. And both of them failed to add the right pieces to replace their uh, to replace their losses in the offseason and the trade. Because remember, it was there was more headcount heading north of the border than down to Florida. Yes, because uh, it was like uh, a three for one trade. We got we got went with we got went to Calgary along with uh, some youngster whose name will only be linked in the trade until we actually hear from him playing on the ice. But Huberto is having a significantly less successful season than normal. Yes. Like last season, 30 goals, his career high, or set, tied his career high. Yep. 115 points, new career high, 80 games. This year in 64, he's got 13 goals, 31 assists, 44 total points. Is he having uh, is he having difficulty adjusting to the much colder weather? Maybe. He's from Saint Jerome, Quebec. It's not entirely it's not going to be entirely foreign to him. Um, it, maybe maybe he needs to do something slightly different with his diet, slightly different with you know the lighting in his house and stuff like that. Yeah. Um. I don't know. It could just be that there's less offensive talent on the roster and the guy who's very, who's noticeably assist heavy, you know, 30 plus 30% more assists, even double the number of assists over goals in a season just isn't seeing, uh, isn't seeing the openings with his new teammates. Okay. Yeah, that's my well. That's why I wanted. That's why I would put Brad on the list. It's just he There's made this. Much, no. He made this big deal, and it hasn't 
panned out because he didn't surround that. He, he hasn't surrounded those players with other pieces, as you say. He hasn't done enough in my eyes to solidify his staying as GM. Um, and I mean, yes, he's spending to the cap, which is, which is in some ways a hallmark of success in the league. But on the other hand, he's now been there almost nine years. What have they done? I don't recall any, there's been no Stanley cup final appearances. I don't even remember a Western conference final appearance in that time. How far uh, did they get last? How far did they get last year? Second round? Third round? Yeah. And that's the. I'm, I'm pretty sure that's the farthest they've gone under him. I mean, for phase, their response to that was to let Johnny Hockey go and sign somewhere else. Oh, he was going regardless, but yeah. But. But he let Johnny Hockey go and didn't get anything for him. You, if you, yes, if you knew he was going him. anyway, you should have dealt him. Yes, I, I 300% agree with that. Um, as painful as it would have been to trade him, you would have gotten assets. There you go. Assets help you keep your job. <laughs> assets, assets keep you from re- rewriting your resume. <laughs> Like, I, in some ways, I was somewhat surprised that he came back after that offseason. Like, I I was a little bit surprised that, you know, ownership didn't decide at the deadline or Thanksgiving or whatever arbitrary date you want to pick. Okay, team's not in a playoff position. Let's give the let's t- let's start our new GM search and give the guy the new guy as much time as he needs to evaluate and still input impact the scouting process. Trade him at the draft before he becomes a free agent. If you want to hang on to him the rest of the season, anything, literally anything. Um, so he's number one, not necessarily because I think he's done the worst job as a GM this year or in the past three or four years, because it does take more than one year to get fired. Um, okay. Number two, um, some people will disagree with it, and I would love to hear your reasons. Um, go ahead and drop us a message or hit me up on Twitter. By all means. Doug Armstrong. Ooh. He has been the president of hockey operations for nine years, six months, and nine days as of today. I have my own reasons for wanting to get rid of him. He has been the general manager for 12 years, eight months and 12 days. Okay. Um, he like, he was the, he was the director of player personnel for two years before he started as general manager. He's been, so he's been with the club since May 29th of 2008. Okay. He signed into that long contract that almost by itself is a resume sign who Jordan Bennington and and just to touch on the one and only reason I would get rid of him you let the wrong goaltender go end of story 
<laughs> Jordan Bennington to a six million dollar a year contract? No. You knew what he was when he was, when you signed him. He was a guy he was a goaltender who was he, terrible for all of his professional <laughs> had four hot months, a okay offseason, no great numbers, no stolen games, an okay offseason who you happen to be lucky enough to win a cup with because the opposing coach forgot to – well, didn't have the good sense to leave his physical players in for game seven. No, just no. Uh-uh. it. He had a 2.46 goals against average in the 2018-19 playoffs when they won the Stanley Cup. 2.46. What was his save percentage? Like 908? No, 914. 914. So league average and you're playing and you're paying him, you know, top third of the league money. Just no. I told you, my one and only reason, you let the wrong goalie go. (laughs) Just absolutely not. I mean, the best thing that you can say about him this year is that in a year when the draft is supposed to be deep, he has three first-round picks. He has his own, the Rangers, and the Leafs. Now, the Leafs and the Rangers are going to be in the 20s or, or so. Um, but you know, their own is going to be in the top half of the draft. They're going to get some good pieces. Now, are any of those pieces going to play in the league next year? Mm, I'm going to have to guess. No, (laughs) maybe they make trades between now and the draft or at the draft that Mm -hmm. alleviates some of their cap, uh, some of their cap issues. And gets them some offense and a goaltender who can, you know, tend goal. Um, You're not supposed to just stand there and pitch at the referees? I'm sorry. And complain to the referees? Oh, and throw water bottles at people who were being interviewed uh, for like a week after an incident where someone is pushed into you. But Um, hey. I'm, I'm trying to keep a straight face. I really am. There's it's no not working, to. but I'm There's trying. no reason to. That was an absolutely ridiculous act. Um, yeah. so, Doug Armstrong, number two on Mike's list. I'm good for that. Okay. And number three, mm-hmm. even looking at the standings, I think some people are saying if he if his team wins in the first round, that it's enough to save him. Mm-hmm. I don't think it is. I think they have to win the second round and get to the Eastern Conference Finals at minimum in order for Kyle Dubas to stay. Because I was hoping you were going to say his name. Because I, to me, you have to prove that a win in the first round is not a fluke. I mean, we you look at the standings today and your favorite phrase in the world, if the playoffs started today... The thing is, they're, they're, they're playing the same game with him this year that the Bruins played with Sweeney. Was it last year when they didn't actually sign him what, like, like he was on an expiring contract? Dubas is on an expiring contract. He's not 
he, he he's done at the end of this season. Yeah. Like he need this team, the Toronto Maple Leafs. So need to, and this is as of today's standings, they need to beat the Tampa Bay Lightning in the first round. That's just then, not one though. Then they need to win in the second round, whoever their opponent is. If it's Boston, they need to beat Boston. If it's Pittsburgh, they need to beat Pittsburgh. If it's whatever, they they need to win two rounds for him to be the general manager when the season opens next year. It, there's there's no two ways about it. He has low he has an unbalanced roster uh, in terms of like raw capabilities and in terms of salary. I mean, he has, what is that? Almost 45% of the, of the uh, cap tied up in Matthews, Tavares and Marner. None of whom are bad players, by the way. Like, I think that Austin Matthews is a phenomenal goal scorer who is learning to do other things. Mitch Marner being quite as high on the on some of the preliminary Selkie voting lists is somewhat of a surprise, but I've seen him play well enough to justify at least some of that voting. Um, John Tavares, I think that in a lot of in a lot of ways, John Tavares is the most underrated player in the league right now because he is a solid two-way player. He's still producing offensively, but he's playing behind two of the young faces of the league. Off the top of your head, do you know what John Tavares has for stat a stat line right now? Uh, I don't know. 13 goals and 22 assists. No, not even close. Oh, okay. As I said, one of the most underrated players of the year who, by the way, 13 games ago uh, played his 1,000th NHL game. He's at 960 points in those those 1,013 games. Wow. 64 games this season. He is 30, 35 uh, uh, for 65 points um, and an even plus minus. He's a 30-goal scorer who literally no one is talking about. Okay. You don't find that odd that he's 65 points on the season and he's even at plus minus? That team is terrible defensively with only okay (laughs) goaltending. Wait, I have a question for you now. Who has the higher percentage of their cap tied up in their offense, Edmonton or Toronto? Don't look. Without looking at... Toronto, without looking at Edmonton, I still think it's Toronto. Ding, ding, ding. Toronto has, <clears throat> or, or should I'll start with Edmonton. Edmonton has 58.1% of their cap tied up in their offense, which sounds pretty high, more than half it's of the Toronto has... of their cap tied up in their offense. By comparison. No, no. It fired. Sorry. The Blues have 41.6% tied up in their theoretical offense. (laughs) Theoretical, yes. 
35.6 tied up in their their use their their functional defense. The Flames 62.6% in that offense somehow. Yeah. 27.9% tied up in their defense. And that's not allowing for, and we're not talking about anyone on the injured reserve or uh, buried right now, just active rosters. I got a comparison for you. The best team in hockey, Boston. Oh, I thought you were going to say the New York Rangers. Mm, not quite yet, but okay, we'll get there. Boston Bruins, the the best team in I'm doing air quotes because some might argue that they're not cap percentage of their forwards. 45.1%. Uh-huh. So Toronto 65 Boston, who is significantly better, at least in the point standings, 45 and scoring more goals now and is scoring a boatload more goals <laughs> because goals for in the league right now, Boston is second. They are, they played two less games in Edmonton and have scored 13 less goals. They've allowed 90 ish less goals. I'm not doing the math, but it's 227 goals allowed by Edmonton, 142 by Boston. Um, we were talking uh, Toronto. Toronto has scored 223 goals in 65 games. Same number as yield Boston Bruins. Oh, okay. My apologies. I thought there were significantly more, but apparently... No, 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 more games. Uh, well, they played... There's still... That's still a difference. And the defense, uh, the non-existent... The, no, the non-existent defense of Toronto? Their defense is not league average. Well, they're only spending 25.7% of their cap on defense. I'm fairly certain that there are teams spending that much on their goaltending. <laughs> no, the goalies are, I don't know. Omark and Omark and Swayman are only 7.2% of the cap. Matt Murray and, Sir, and Samsonov in Toronto are 7.9. I don't think anybody's paying 25 per, unless unless Bobrovsky maybe because he's a 10 million dollar goaltender. Uh, but I don't think anybody's it's paying. Actually, it actually it well it's 13 percent in. Oh, you know what it is? Florida right now because Skinner uh, um, Knight is on the shelf. It's only 13 percent. Ah. Um. But Knight. Well, Knight's cap hit this year is only 1.1%, but he's four, he's got a $4.5 million contract starting next season. So it'll be closer to 19% of the current cap. But I wasn't, I wasn't looking at next year only because cap number is expected to go up as well, so percentages are yeah. going to adjust accordingly. I'm just looking strictly at this year, active players, Omar it's, and Swayman. It's a travesty. Well, Mark and Swayman, best tandem, 7.2%. But the Bruins are paying Bruins are paying their defense 36 point something percent of their cap. So maybe if we stop and look and not look at Sweeney, but just look at the the math and the way it works, maybe if you had better defense and 
paid for defense instead of putting 65% of your eggs into the offense basket, um, things might be a little different. Bye, Dubas. Bye, Dubas. And as I said, my number four guy is is in Pittsburgh, be, not because of him, but because the team was purchased. That is a that is a possibility. We know how owners like to bring in their own guys and whatnot. I'm surprised that one, and then we can move on. But I'm surprised that you didn't mention Pierre Dorian in Santa, in Ottawa. See, I think that is tied to a purchase, but also. I think it's tied to a future purchase. I mean, they haven't been sold yet, have they? They haven't been sold yet. But I think if someone comes in and looks at the job that he's done, particularly given how eccentric uh, (laughs) was, yeah, that you probably have to just uh, you probably have to give him a year or two, like unless he says. Nope, I'm good. I can go take a year off and let someone else hire me. Or I'd rather move to, you know, the president of operations if you'll have me. Or, you know, I'll I'll serve as your governor uh, to the board of advisors, but I really don't need to be a general manager anymore. Um, I think you almost owe it to yourself as a general manager to give him a year or two years because or as an owner, because he's built he's got some really smart young assets Mm -hmm. and look at that team you look at that team is there a bad is there an actually bad contract on the ottawa senators right now not an okay one but an a genuinely bad contract Mm, is it brady kachuk's no, I don't. I don't think Brady's is. I think you're gonna. I think you might get arguments from people that Shabbat's is a little bit off. But Shabbat's played way too many minutes of hockey for his entire career to date. If you drop him back down to 24 minutes a night or 22 minutes a night versus mm-hmm. 26, 27, 28, he's been playing. He's gonna bounce back and be back at that 50 plus point per season level. Like, if I'm a general manager anywhere else in the league and Pierre Dorian calls me up and says, hey, um, the owner says before we can sell, uh, we got to get rid of this guy. I'm like, uh, pack his bags. I'll meet him at the airport myself. Um, here's, a, here's a first, a second, and and a prospect. Yeah. And that's, and that's like without – that's without even caring who the prospect is. It could be the best prospect in my system because I think Shabbat is that good. Can you, can you genuinely question a second contract on that team? No, I'm I'm looking at I'm looking at Cap Runley now, and I don't see anything that that in any way. Um, Claude Giroux at thirty five, making six and a half, maybe. Is he going to sign anywhere for less than that? I think at thir- I think at the at the thirty five plus level. I mean, most okay. thirty five plus most thirty five plus contracts are in like the two and a half three at the most. 
So 28, uh, 28 goals, 38 assists, 66 points in 66 games this year. Yeah, see, that, even so, yeah, even the six and a half that you're paying him now is not crazy money. It, I don't think it's in any way unjustified. No, it's not. Particularly when you talk about the fact that he's got a super majority of the team's playoff experience. Now, are they making the playoffs this year? Unlikely. Are they making the playoffs next year? Uh, that's still a coin flip. Like, I think that's genuinely still a coin flip. This year, I think they're, I mean, points-wise, they're six points away from the Islanders. I mean, points-wise, they're probably a little too far out. I mean, they're, they're, but are they good enough to be there? I think if you put them into a, I think if you put Ottawa into a playoff position, I think there are other teams above them that would be, a little nervous playing them. Uh, look, I said two one shows of them. Ago. One of them being Boston. <laughs> exactly. I said two shows ago. I don't want to play Ottawa or Buffalo if they make it into the first into the into the playoffs. And I think if you took those two teams and dropped them into the Western Conference, well, there's a you, reasonable chance they both win their first round matches. If you drop them into the seven and eight spot or the five and six spots. In the uh, in the Western Conference, there's a decent chance both of them win their first rounds because they are ridiculously fast. They are highly skilled. They are they are tenacious as anything you want to see in the NHL. Um, I think I think I think watching an Ottawa Colorado matchup would be first of all you need the remote so you can slow them down to half speed and actually watch the game. Yes, you're. I mean, you might want to put on a neck brace for that one because you might you might hurt yourself because it's going to look like it's going to look like table tennis going 200 feet. Yes, uh, that one might be decided by. Uh, that one's not going to be decided. There are by not any any one zero games in that series. I doubt it highly. That's what I was <laughs> that's what I was getting at. I don't think you're going to be seeing that one's going to be decided by who can. It's just going to be outscoring. Like unless you leave, unless the five skaters on each side sit down in front of their benches and the pucks are given to the goaltenders to shoot from their net at the other guy. There's no way that that game is that series is having a single one zero game. Those are all going to be four or five games, six, four games, uh, seven, eight games. I am curious as to how Georgiev is doing numbers wise, but he's since I actually saw him on a list for top 10 Vesna candidates. I'm OK. That might be your difference is goaltending, because uh, I'm still not sold Colorado. on Ottawa's goaltending. Yes, Colorado's goaltending is definitely better. Um, but you've got you got two top tier defensemen in Makar and, and Shabbat. Uh, it's basically who rounds out the rest of the defense. And the fact that you got Sam Girard, Bowen Byram, uh, Eric Johnson. I mean, you've got a really solid. I'm not saying it's great, but a solid defense core that can score goals. Ooh, sounds like the Bruins. A solid defense core that can score goals in Colorado. That could potentially be. But yeah, no. So Dorian to Philly, or do you stick with Briere? I don't if he, know if of he any is general manager 
I don't know of any unemployed general managers that I actually feel pretty warm about. So I may stick with Briere and give him a two, give him two or three years to show me he's got some sense. I'm just going. You're only going to be able to judge his free agent signings from there, and maybe some trades. You're not. You're certainly not going to be able to judge his drafting in two years. No, I do. I, I do believe that the ownership that comes in, whoever it is, needs to give Dorian a chance. Yes, I agree. With oh, that. I, I thought you said Briere. No, no. I was just thinking if Dorian is let go by Ottawa, and you're sitting there as Philly, and you've seen what Dorian can do or has done in in Ottawa, do you bring Dorian in or do you stick with Briere? Yeah. That was the question. Yeah. I I think I might bring in Dorian. If I can't get him because he doesn't want to move to the U.S. or whatever, I can live with Briere because I don't really love any of the other candidate, like potential candidates out there. I mean, to me, the only two other people who I would genuinely consider are also without general manager experience in the NHL or even like one of the junior leagues. And I think that people are going to wrongly laugh at one of the choices uh, in Claude Julien. Mm-hmm. Um, I think he understands hockey too well not to. If Barry Trotz can go straight from being a coach to being a general manager. I'm still wondering about that, but OK. It, Barry Trotz completely understands hockey. And according to people, he's. Too, he's a little too nice to the players, or the too too much of a players coach. Okay. Then if he can distance himself from the players as GM, I think that he and apply the same level of hockey understanding. I think that he can do well as a general manager. Does that mean I think that four years from now we're going to be talking about the Nashville Predators and Dynasty? I think Dynasty is a word that doesn't belong in the NHL lexicon anymore. No. But that said, I think that Claude Julien, who actually won a cup in the NHL and did it with a team that was, who entered the, who entered the playoffs eighth in the East with a play, with a power play that was bleeping terrible. <laughs> it still won the cup, which might be uh, the know, one knock against this year's Bruins, by the way. Theirs isn't even terrible. It's still top 10 in the league. But, like, um, but if he can do that, he understands the hockey fundamentals enough. Okay. He should be able to listen, evaluate the scouting, the professional and the youth hockey level. And I say youth hockey for draft anyone draft eligible or who has aged out of college or juniors uh, well enough to make smart decisions. Should he have a capologist in his back pocket? Yes, he should. Um, Should he have someone who's going to do some of the player personnel stuff, Um, maybe negotiating some of the contracts with agents and things like that? Probably. But in terms of running the ship, there's no reason the general manager has to negotiate every contract personally. There's no reason that the general manager has to be has to have been a scout for 12 and a half years or 15 years before they become a general manager, because you still need to understand the mechanics of 
team composition. And as I was talking about with some of the other teams, take Vancouver, some teams are less than the sum of its parts because they don't have the right chemistry to turn into something viable. Um, I mean, on paper, Vancouver should be a significantly better team than they are. On paper, Calgary should be a notch better than they are. Um, but they're not. Yeah, I'm still not sold on Patrick Olivan in, in Vancouver either. So he, well, he's only been there a year. It's hard to, it's hard to judge. Um, give me another three years, and I'll tell you whether I think he can do anything useful. Okay. Um, but right now, it's premature. He hasn't made any major blunders. Um, he hasn't stepped on his sword uh, at this point yet. Um, he hung on to Elias Patterson, which is gonna. He hung it's on gonna to, keep him in. It's gonna keep him in the good graces for a little while. Anyway, he didn't let Patterson go. Yeah, he lost. Yeah, he let. They let Horvat go, but I think that was. That was inevitable. A fait accompli. Yeah, that was that was inevitable. It was inevitable like three years ago. Um, and he also still has Brock Besser. Yes. Uh, you have those two. You probably have a semi-viable team. And 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 I think he I think he actually shed some stuff in and some stuff. I think he shed some players in like losing a Luke Shen. Uh, I think, is yeah. Tyler Myers still a pain in the butt uh, at six million? Well, at least his contract is almost up. <laughs> I mean, he's got he's six he's six and change under the cap yeah. on a non-playoff team. No, he doesn't have second round picks this year or next year. But this team still, I still firmly believe that this team is like one one or two players away from being an actual playoff team. And I think that the number one, literally the number one characteristic that you need of a player who can still contribute in a top six, top four role is leadership because I don't think that I don't think that Quinn Hughes or Elias Patterson or Brock Besser or any of the young kids are ready to contribute at that. They're not ready to be captains and turn the ship around. There's not a Patrice Bergeron on that roster. There's not even a Sydney. There's not a Sidney Crosby. And I don't necessarily think he was a great young leader on that roster. There's no, no I, I have, I have I issues with throwing a C on an 18-year-old. So I, I don't think that Ovechkin was a great young leader either. But if you can find me a um, a Sean Couturier to take leadership on that team, he'd be an interesting pickup. For, I mean, again, his contract being what it is, I mean, I don't see Vancouver do, getting him, but he'd be an interesting get for the Vancouver Canucks. If you if you toss him into that into that 2C spot and you put JT Miller on one of his wings, you've automatically got a second line that is a threat, a problem for the offensive lines against them and is going to go to work every shift. Is it the best two-way line in the league? Probably not. Is it better than 
20 other teams can put together? It may well be. Um, but, like, I think they need a guy, maybe more than one guy, who can show up and show out. Yeah. You know, they need that Zidane Chara, Patrice Bergeron guy who's who lives, breathes, and dies hockey and plays at the top end of the roster. And I think they need that Andy Ferentz guy who plays at the middle of the roster and who doesn't believe he actually has limitations. <laughs> um, and, and he's not, as, afraid, as and he's not afraid to have a glove malfunction every now and again. Those wardrobe malfunctions are so unpredictable. They are. Um, but I think that I think that leadership and a desire, like if I'm if I'm the general manager and you said out Patrick Alvin, and I am looking at everyone who's going to be UFA this offseason, everyone who has a contract that or everyone every team that's rebuilding, I'm saying where can I find a guy who's going to walk into the room and get every eye on him. And you know what? I think that for that second tier guy, yeah, I'm looking everywhere. I am looking in the KHL. I am looking in the Swedish hockey league. I am looking for overagers. I am looking for call uh, out of junior. I am looking for college students and saying, is this a guy who has that presence? to either put an A on or be a co-captain or to just come into the room and say, look, I refuse to lose. You can make a choice. You can either win with me or go tell the GM you want to play somewhere else. Not to drag this out. Whether they say it in those many words or not is way less relevant than whether they go out on the ice and live it. Not to drag this out. Final statement for me, though, would be is the fan base going to have an issue with the fact that you don't have a homegrown talent taking that position of whether it's captain or alternate? They shouldn't. Okay. Like if their goal is to actually be a team that 31 other fan bases or at least 20 other fan bases don't make fun of on a daily basis, they shouldn't care if the, if the uh, if the next captain of the Vancouver Canucks is John Jones uh, of the Justice League and is really a Green Martian, <laughs> but I'm not disagreeing with you. I'm, I mean, if you if you look back, one of the best captains that the that the Bruins have ever had was not a homegrown talent. It was a Dan O'Chara who we got from Ottawa. So we got as a free agent, but yes, but he but he wasn't a homegrown talent. Is my point. No, I'm just saying that is this is the fan base going to and and it's another question I guess for another time but they shouldn't if they do move the team <laughs> literally move the team because they're too dumb to deserve an NHL team just move the, just pick up the team and move it to Quebec and see if they can keep a team this time <laughs> ship Detroit back to the Western Conference Give, uh, give Ottawa back. Give Ottawa the Canucks and call it a day. Fair enough. Um, Jonathan Quick 
I fun, so. fun tweet I ran into a couple uh, a day or so ago. Got his first his win as a first king not too long ago. Three games with the uh, with the Golden Knights. And yeah. This is a Frank Cervelli tweet for those who are wondering where I got my information. Ninety-two saves out of ninety-eight shots, a shutout, and a nine-thirty-nine save percentage. Somebody vaguely resembling yourself said that uh, he was not the John, same Jonathan Quick, but look, he's playing you know, like he's the same, like he's the old Jonathan Quick. <laughs> nope, his no, he's not because his save percentage was never that high. Uh. So that thing I always say. So the thing I always say about putting a goaltender behind this defense or that defense. Maybe there's something to that. Jonathan Quick's highest save percentage in his NHL career goes all the way back to the 2011-2012 season, yep. and that was a 9.28. His career save percentage is 9.11. Yes, he has a Conn Smythe. Yes, he has two Jennings trophies. Jonathan Quick is has been a clutch goaltender. So is this a he's happy or is this a this is a defense in front of <laughs> bleep you? It's a four letter word that starts with an F and rhymes with duck to L.A. to L.A. and to Columbus and to, <laughs> and to Columbus. L.A. He didn't want to go to Columbus. He was upset that he was traded there. Yes, he was. <laughs> I genuinely doubt that he even got on the plane or even packed a bag. I don't think he made it to Columbus. I don't even think they had a jersey waiting for him. A sweater, whatever you want I to call it. I don't think he left his couch. <laughs> Honey, I've been traded to Columbus. Don't worry, I'm not leaving. Don't worry. <laughs> but as much as I love John Quick because his interview, his drunken interviews after the Stanley Cup wins were bleeping gold. He's never been an elite goaltender. He's been a clutch goaltender, which might be more important because John Bennington, uh, Jordan Bennington, had that one clutch run with a reasonably predictable, based on that run, playoff run, playoff performance. But he's certainly never been an elite goaltender. He's never even been a good goaltender. <laughs> Jonathan Quick or Jonathan or Jordan Bennington? Jordan Bennington. Okay. Woo. I thought you were talking about Jonathan there for a minute. I'm like, you can't disparage him. He's from Connecticut. No, no, no. When you talk about a 928 save percentage and a 921 save percentage in 64 games. Didn't you have some ridiculous save percentage in the playoffs, though? You probably did. <laughs> but Jonathan Quick, his performance in – in Vegas is at least partly because of the defense, as you mentioned, but part of it is, I think that he was awakened, awoken out of his complacency. I think he had gotten complacent after an entire career where he was absolutely going to the Raptors in Los Angeles um, there. And yes, his injuries were severe, those back injuries are no joke. You literally can't do anything when your back hurts and do it well. Like breathing is difficult when your back hurts enough. 
playing yes. hockey with a back injury, and I am an expert at being in pain. I wouldn't recommend it. I, it's not something that I would want to do on a three times a week basis. <laughs> it just no. Like even with all of the painkillers and therapies that a NHL team can afford for a player, my answer is still, eh, can the other guy play? It's funny because his two Stanley Cup years, uh, 2011-12, played in 20 games, uh, ridiculous, 1.41 goals against average, and a 9.46 save percentage. Won the won the Con Smythe if I'm not mistaken that year. Uh, then the two years indeed won the Con Smythe. Then two years later in 13-14 when they won it again. Um, 26 games played and he had a 2.58 goals against average and only a 9.11 save percentage. I mean we're talking about a pretty uh, significant opposites here. I mean, the second set of numbers isn't certainly isn't terrible. Um, I'm I'm expecting that nine. What was it? Nine eleven. You said save percent. In yeah, in 2013-14, when they won their second, he was he had a nine eleven save percentage. That was a right around league average for save percentage. Which again, this is why I say, as much as I love Jonathan Quick, he's been a clutch goaltender and not an elite goaltender. Um. But with two Stanley Cups, a Conn Smythe, a Vesna, is he more likely to be a and, – and I know it's not really a question to answer now, but he's going to think the, about. He's going to the Hall of Fame. Is he a Hall of Famer? Probably. When you, two, when you have a Conn Smythe, two Stanley Cups, and a Jennings, although he doesn't have a Vesna. Oh, he does not have a Vesna. Okay. He does not have a Vesna. Um, you're probably going to the Hall of Fame, especially when you were part of the first Stanley Cup for a franchise. I don't know if he'll be Jonathan Quick for good or for bad is a huge part of the growth of youth hockey in California. He is in that that state with a population equal to Canada where hockey is still a new thing can have three hockey teams. Or he is a major part of that reason. Jonathan Kopitar and Dustin Brown and um, and I mean, Mister, if you get near me, you will be suspended by the league. Uh, the L.A. Kings defenseman. Oh, Drew Doughty, come on now. It, look, people who would get anywhere near him get suspended. Really? Like it, it's just a thing. It, it's Drew Doughty. He he plays half an hour a night, or he used Look, to anyway. I think, that, like, <laughs> I think that he is a great hockey player, and I think that there's a better, in a lot of ways, a better case for him going into the Hall of Fame than for Jonathan Quick. Fair and enough. Yes, I'm probably going to have to fist fight someone over that at some point. I don't care. You're going to lose. Um, But I genuinely think that, you know, Drew Doughty is, for whatever, whether you like him or not, and... Polarizing? (laughs) Guys get suspended a lot when they get on, get into a beef on ice with him. Drew Doughty? Guys get suspended. And it's... 
more so than people who have taken cheap shots at McDavid and Crosby and Ovechkin and Bergeron. It's like pretty consistent. Drew Doughty says he's vexed with someone and not quite in those terms. He's vexed. He's vexed. Okay. <laughs> they catch a two-game suspension. I like the fact that he's vexed with somebody. Okay, that's good. He has I mean, forty-one he's got points. Trophy. He's got two Stanley Cup. Um, he's got two Stanley Cups himself. He's now played over a thousand games. Yep. He's going to the Hall of Fame. And he's got 608 points in those 1,080 games. So he's a six-tenths of a point per game player over the course of a career that at some points he was averaging close to half an hour a game. And probably still averages like 25 or something. Oh, he's still <laughs> over 22 minutes a night. It's not a question. Um, Bruins fastest to 50 goal, 50 wins in a season. They broke the record by more than two games, by like two games, despite the fact that they nearly choked up the first game against the Red Wings here in Boston. Then they did choke up the game in, in, uh, Detroit, but the fastest team in a hundred years in the NHL to 50 wins. The next up on the list is 64, or is two games higher, 66. That, cap, that uh, Montreal? Bleeping ridiculous. And Montreal did it back in the old league when it was, you know, six teams, and you and teams controlled who was drafted based on their region. And Montreal had a huge and powerful region because they're Montreal. Yes. Um, and hockey was still new to much of the rest of the league geography. Um, that's just. Was is Montreal second on the list? Fastest to fifty? Is it Montreal? I believe so. Yeah. Okay. I just, I just fifty wins, and they did it in sixty what? Sixty-four games. <sighs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> Okay, then. And they've already clinched a playoff spot. And already clinched a playoff spot with a month left in the season. Uh, Some teams have almost 20 games. There's many and sundry reasons that uh, I could come up with as to how they're doing this. They... They seem to be playing it the right way no matter what. You look at their forward group and everybody goes, oh, my goodness, you know, the age, the age. But the chemistry that they've developed, the fact that everybody's happy playing there, the coach has brought this team together. And those of you who want to argue with me that Bruce Cassidy, you know, summarily let go and, oh, my goodness, why? Well, you look at the team and the way they're playing now under first-year coach Montgomery. They've gelled. They have a system. The defense has a fabulous system. They get activated. You've got Hampus Lindholm, who is leading the league in plus-minus. You've got guys like Connor Clifton, who are coming out of their shells, having career years. And then you've got Sweeney, who adds to that pile by bringing in a Dmitry Orlov Stunning the NHL because and nobody was, really was pick up. That's what I'm saying. Stunning the NHL. Nobody was expecting it completely. It was expected to be Gavrikov, and which would have been a terrible trade. 
Yes. And I was not happy with it at all. I didn't want it to happen. I was so glad when it didn't. But, but it was one of those trades. The Gabrielov tra- trade was one of those trades that was so obvious. I knew Sweeney wasn't going to make it. I don't know if he was looking to I, – I don't know if he was not going to make it or if it was pieces fell through or he was looking for a better option. I mean to, to, to pull a trade and grab not only Orlov but I don't think Garnet Hathaway was a throw-in on this deal. Garnet Hathaway has played his part. I mean he's got what? One goal and a he's hand- got three points in, in, in his like six games since he got here. He's 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 absolutely up to the up to the challenge up to he's worthy of being picked up. Um, and I would say the same thing about Tyler Bertuzzi. I did not see mention of Tyler Bertuzzi to Boston before I tweeted it. That was uh-huh. completely that was completely out of necessity. Taylor Hall and Taylor Hall got sent home on the West Coast on the on the on the Canada trip. And that was Taylor right Hall after did, Nick Foligno went down, or just before? No, just before. Was. Taylor Hall was sent home, and then the game after that, Nick Foligno left with the injury. And all of a sudden, the next day, or, or the day after, whatever it was, the Bruins are announcing that they've made a deal for Tyler Bertuzzi. And I was just like, eh, excuse me? <laughs> and, bottle. you know, some people, some people say that uh, they don't understand the trade. I understood it immediately. Number one, like Taylor Hall, Tyler Bertuzzi is a distributor. He's he can score he's though. Probably he's probably a career third line player, whereas Taylor Hall was a former league MVP. He's not, but they're both distributors first. And if you're still trying to get um, Trent Frederick and Charlie Coyle to shoot more and make the most of their offensive skills. Having that, Bertuzzi's, Bertuzzi's not the worst winger you can have on a line if you're trying to get more shooting out of Coyle and Frederick. No, and the similarity of both of them being distributors is another key thing for synergy when Hall comes back. And because no, I don't have any doubt that Hall is going to get his spot back the second he is cleared for him, cleared to play. Unless Tyler Bertuzzi scores 12 or 15 goals between now and the end of the season. Taylor Hall is going right back on that third line when he gets back. Although Bertuzzi hit last two I, games, I think he played. I think he played on the second line with Krejci and Pasta, well, and that I think is a sneaky bit of coaching um, by <laughs> Jim no, Montgomery. Has done. Has Jim Montgomery made a bad move yet? <laughs> I, I genuinely think that's a sneaky bit of coaching by Monty and Kelly and company. I genuinely, firmly, 112% believe they are trying to manufacture some adversity for the team. Has Jim Montgomery actually made a bad move, a, a, a questionable move yet? Has he, uh, aside from upsetting me by sitting Connor Clifton for that one game when they brought in Orlov and he was the odd man out? But that was just because he upset me, not because he upset everybody else. <laughs> See, I. I would still leave Clifton in and I would still sit uh, Carlo, not because I dislike Carlo, but because I think that Carlo as a part of the fundamentals makes the least sense, but he's the least offensive player. I mean, as I was saying though, the reason the bees are fastest to 50, you've got Montgomery with a system. 
the defense gets, has a system. The defense yes. gets activated. You've got guys below the line. I mean, did you see Bertuzzi's first point as a Bruin? That pass right out in front. I mean, dish right out in front of Charlie Coy. It was beautiful. He goes behind the net, bang, bang, in the net. Done. Look, I. <laughs> you don't have to. I am, as I said, Sweeney's first four years as a general manager were uh-huh. <laughs> not good. Not good. And I will never apologize for criticizing them. I would you say very ungood. It doesn't make sense. Just look at the results. They were not good. His last couple of years, his last couple of years have actually looked good. He's made some smart decisions, both at the trade table, at the drafts, and by NBA UFAs. Well, Do I, I think said he's it. A perfect general manager? No, of course not. But I said it to you last week. I don't remember if it was off air or during the show. Who is where? Who is Don? Who is the GM? And what did you do with Don Sweeney? And it reminds me of Mark Bergevin running the Canadians when his yep. first handful of years were, and then all of a sudden he goes and makes deals for Suzuki and DePoli and Anderson. And it's like, wait, 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 wait. Who are <laughs> you? <laughs> and where are you hiding Bergevin? <laughs> no, there's a guy who I might consider giving a second shot. As much as it pains me to say it in some ways, I might actually consider hiring him as a GM if he's interested and available when I take a, as, as if I'm the owner. Did, did the Logan Mayu draft pick use up any goodwill he may have had, though? That's something to think about. It's a small amount. I think it was one of those it's one of those things where if you didn't get notice that he didn't want to be drafted or you didn't weren't in the loop on why he was uh held uh in low esteem it, based on his statistics it makes perfect sense to draft him based on the office stuff you genuinely have to question his judgment like personal judgment um, I would still like to hear, see a statement, uh, from the affected person, mm-hmm. but I, I still think that's a questionable and poor draft choice, uh, especially considering that there are other guys he could have drafted that year who were certainly quality players. Yes. Um, Boston has a better plus, better goal differential than the rest of the Atlantic Division combined. Well, it doesn't help that Montreal's a minus 56, but if you add up all the other pluses, Toronto, Tampa Bay, Florida, and Buffalo, you get plus 70, 48, 55, 75, plus 80, excuse me. So 23 goals, 25 goals less than the Boston Bruins. Yeah. All the, uh, all the, all the pot, all the goal differential positive teams don't add up to the Boston Bruins in the Atlantic division. Okay. Then I understand that, but um, (laughs) it it just, so while I think that there's some question of if the coaches are trying to manufacture adversity just to manufacture emotion, wouldn't surprise me. Wouldn't yeah no it, it he's already created it, it, basically he's already created 
somewhat of a competition because you got seven defend, you got six spots for seven de- seven viable defensemen. When and when Hall gets back, you've got twelve spots for thirteen viable forwards. And that's before and, Foligno and then, comes back. And Felino comes back. Now you got twelve for fourteen. Oh my! I mean, is this a good problem for Montgomery to have, or is it a bad one? <laughs> it's an it's an excellent problem as long as you can keep people warm and engaged. And, and well, yes, and I paying think attention. I think you're talking legitimately about NHL defensemen because Are you throwing Zaboral into the mix. I'm throwing Zaboral into the mix because he hasn't done a huge amount offensively. But has he really looked out of place at any point? I haven't seen him play much since the beginning of the season. It's been a while since he played. And for that matter, you can throw Lauka in. We were talking about him before the show. So now you got 15 forwards. I mean, you legitimately, if you get everyone healthy by the playoffs, before you get to the Black Aces, you've got 15 forwards and eight defensemen that you can throw into an NHL game. Would you consider Mike Riley or an Anton Strauman at this point, or are you just completely leaving those leaving those two out now? If you're going to consider those two, you have to throw Chris Wagner into the list too. <laughs> yeah, this is, this gets worse or or better depending on how you want to look at it. <laughs> I mean, those two, those three guys are probably tied well, to winning, uh, tied to the uh, P Bruins and. You know, winning down there. No, and I understand but that. You're, but as a general manager, if you have a choice between winning a Stanley Cup and winning a Calder Cup, there's not a question which you're going to choose. But those th- those three players that I named, or those two plus Wagner, who you named, so three, mm-hmm. Wagner, Strawman, Mike Riley, like them, don't like them, on the cusp players, whatever you want to call them, they still come with significant playoff experience. Yeah, especially I mean, Strawman. And Chris Wagner really probably arguably doesn't deserve to be in the AHL this year. But the team, the way the team's playing, what, what they really who, haven't had a whole lot of options. Yeah, I mean, who do you who do you push out for him? I mean, he's got 59 playoff games of of NHL uh, of NHL playoff experience. Okay, not in the sneeze. Mike Riley. Probably not as many games of NHL playoff experience. Still not terrible. Strawman. Strawman should have a bit. Strawman's got to be at least 30, 40 games. Uh, no, um, he's got 113 games of NHL playoff experience. Yeah, it's funny that whole thing playing in Tampa Bay. It, it, well, even before that, he had a 20 game run in the 11, 12 season with the Rangers. No, yeah, that's a right. Twenty-five was, I, game run in the thirteen fourteen season with the Rangers, mm-hmm. and yes, twenty-six games in the fourteen sixteen season, fourteen fifteen season with uh, <coughs> with Tampa Bay. Yep. Uh, you know, you don't get much more seasoned than one hundred and thirteen NHL games. So no, yeah, and, and you can, you've got you some fine experience. You can make a strong case that you've got not eight but 10 NHL defensemen going into the playoffs. Do I really want to enter a game where we're playing, where the Bruins are playing Strawman, Riley and Loco? 
No. Are the Bruins still in better shape with those three playing than the three guys who don't have as much experience combined as Riley? Yes. Fair enough, yeah. Just everybody questions how the Bruins have gotten this far, and I just think it's I think it's leadership, it's experience, it's chemistry, it's chemistry. That's the next word I was going to use. Uh, it, it, it's a lot of it, it. It's intangibles. It's not just on ice performance. I, I, those intangibles, I think they include. Um, there's, I mean, there's guys having career seasons. There's guys. I mean, Nick Foligno and Trent Frederick, and hopefully this doesn't turn out to be the high point of Trent Frederick's career. But there's guys having bounce back years and career years. And there's guys who know they're playing for contract, playing for the right to play in the NHL next season um, and playing for, you know, David Krejci is playing for legacy. In my opinion, he belongs in the NHL. He belongs in the in the uh, Garden Raptors. Is he a Hall of Fame player? That's a very, very arguable question, which I'm not even going to attempt to touch tonight. No. Um, just not. Uh, I, I was going to say, I do. gets that Stanley Cup again if he mm-hmm. wins the playoffs in scoring again. Yes. Because he's done it twice before. Okay. Um, you know, you lead, the, you lead the NHL in scoring in the playoffs tw- three times. And I don't care what the rest of your stats are. I'm probably voting for you to make it into the Hall of Fame. Fair enough. Whether that gets you enough votes to make it into the Hall of Fame is an entirely different question. But I am probably voting for you if you can do it three times. Sure. Um, I do have one other milestone since we mentioned the Bruins' fastest of 50. It's another fastest. And go. we kind of left it out last week, so it happened a little bit ago. But um, – we have a young man by the name of <clears throat> Quinn Hughes, who played at the University of Michigan, um, set the record for fastest to 200 assists, beating out some Hall of Famer by the name of Brian Leach. I don't know, played for the Rangers, I think. And the Rangers are a real hockey team. Reached 200 assists quicker than any other D-man in NHL history. That's a ridiculous accomplishment. While dealing with high turnover rate of teammates, Hughes only needed 263 games to get 200 assists, which was one fewer than Brian Leach of the Rangers. (laughs) That's like a career benchmarking event. And oh, by the way, eight fewer than Bobby Orr. But that's a career benchmarking event. Like, Quinn Hughes is 23 years old. He will not turn 24 until October 14th. Literally six, uh, seven months from now. And he's already gotten his name above multiple Hall of Famers on a career accomplishments list. When you can say... Your name in in conjunction with Leach and or and say that you are you've done something faster than they have. You have to look at everything else that you're doing. Everything else that you're doing and say, 
is it at that level? Right now? No, because Quinn Hughes' best goal-scoring season? Only eight goals. And Which isn't terrible. It's, it's no, certainly not, not at all. And, and the, not the current NHL. And the thing that and the thing that it, it, the NHL stat page, the NHL records page, excuse me, doesn't keep track, uh, only keeps track of players with a minimum of 300 career assists. So his name doesn't even appear there yet. Yes. But his current rate of 0.76 assists per game puts him into the top 15 players of all time once he gets on that list. If he keeps producing at that same rate, the That's, only defenseman above him, the only two are Bobby Orr at 0.98 and Paul Coffey at 0.81. That's bonkers. Because we talk about Eric Carlson being purely offensive and we talk about Brent Burns being occasionally defensive. Wait, occasionally? Something and, that neither of them is even close to. Like Quinn Hughes is a special talent. And and just to throw one more kink in there. <clears throat> go for it. Hughes made his NHL debut on March 28th, 2019. Even with the com- even with the pandemic and everything else, flat cap, turmoil around the Canucks, everything else. He's had 80 different teammates in less than 4 years in Vancouver. He might 80. actually eclipse Patrice Bergeron for total teammates in under 10 years because that is ridiculous turnover. And I firmly believe that a lot of the current roster needs to be turned over because leadership and I guess I it's uh, people hate the term, but, you know, battle meter or grit or whichever one you want to pick. I don't see a lot of it in that team. Only three regulars now have longer tenures than Hughes in the Canucks organization. And again, he's only been there since 2019. Only three. Number one. <clears throat> Brock. Brock Besser, drafted in 2015, played his first game in March of two, March 25, 2017. <sighs> Second, drafted in 2014 and played his first game March 31st of 18, Thatcher Demko. And third, okay. drafted in 2017, played his first game the following season in October of 2018, Elias Patterson. I mean, if you can keep those four together as your four for the next six, seven years, you're probably making it back to the playoffs. But you genuinely need to do something to change the emotional equilibrium of the team. He's played with 80 different teammates in the same time frame. Ottawa has used 90 different players as have the leaps, Chicago, 87, San Jose, 86, <laughs> Montreal, 83, Vancouver, 81, Colorado, 80, Red Wings, 79 and Coyotes, 78. <sighs> <laughs> team with the least number. And it's not fair to count this team, but the Kraken has only used 44 in two seasons. Yeah. So since 2019, the team with the lowest number of players used New York Islanders, 55. 
but since since Quinn yeah. Hughes started playing. <laughs> That's that. I mean, it doesn't necessarily surprise me with the Islanders. Um, and obviously you can't be too shocked of, with what's gone on in Seattle so far. But it's the turnover and some of the teams. It tells you a lot about the rosters and a lot about the leadership. Because you I mean, you listen to those you listen to the interviews for guys who come to Boston anytime in the last 20 years. Basically, since Shara came in and was captain, everyone was so welcoming. It's just one locker room. There's no new guys. There's no rookies. Uh, I got a call from the captain. I got a call from the assistant captains or alternate captains. Um, everyone has tried to make me feel at home. I know this guy. This guy is super helpful. I felt welcome, like, right away. You hear that literally every person, including, you know, this year, new head coach Bergeron wasn't expected to be back until just before he signed. Um, Krejci, really, you couldn't predict he was going to be back. And yet, same story. You you heard some of those interviews this week. You heard Bertuzzi this week. You heard uh, Hathaway this week. You heard Orlov a week and a half ago, two weeks ago, when he was being interviewed. All three of them talked about being welcome and getting that call from Bergeron immediately and Marchand immediately. And Bertuzzi spoke about it, yeah. And it's it's part of the magic. Like, you know, the secret sauce isn't a secret. He said, in fact, Bertuzzi said he first got a call from Bergeron, then he got a call from Marchand, and he already knew Felino because they grew, they grew up together or, or same area. Yeah. And apparently he drove. Apparently Felino drove him to the rink on his first day. Yeah. <laughs> like that sort of stuff. The. And unfortunately, Vancouver does not have. They need to establish that kind of camaraderie. Like, that comes with not having 80 players <laughs> changing out around Quinn Hughes. By the way, the Bruins in that same span of time, since March 28, 2019, Bruins have only used 66. I mean... None of that includes goaltenders. Those numbers don't include goalies, by the way. Does does Do NHL teams need to start uh, having, like, a player culture ambassador who is not a part of the coaching staff? but simply does like is almost a den mother to the team. I think like, they're starting to crop up in other sports. It wouldn't surprise me if one, does, if, if NHL organizations start using somebody like that, whether it's, whether it's a player like the NHL who's no longer active, like a former player mm-hmm. or, you know, they just literally hire a a parent or a former uh, a former billet mom or billet dad. They can bring oranges to the games. <laughs> but someone who makes sure that all of that, all of the glue stuff happens. Yeah. Um, and picks people who are going to be genuine about it to do it. Because there are players in the league who I have criticized in the course of their career for saying things they knew were supposed to be that people wanted to hear, but that they didn't necessarily believe, or I couldn't find it in me to believe they believed. 
But when you hear the things that we're talking about with the Bruins this year, I have no doubt that the players saying it mean it. I have no, I, yeah, I have no doubt. I'm just, I, I'm amazed at the numbers. I mean, I knew Quinn Hughes was going to be a, a very, a, good. a, a oh, very good. good, a very good to special play. I, I just, I was not expecting this kind of uh, output. I knew he was going to be good. I just, this is, this has exceeded what I expected. And while you're while we're ending while we're wrapping the show, uh, his brother in New Jersey had a really really nice game the other night. You should go check out some of the highlights. Um, they are jaw dropping, and I am not that easily impressed as most of you probably have figured out. Uh, anything else we need to cram into this already action packed show? Uh, we didn't mention the Alan Walsh issue. Oh, Alan Walsh. Since we uh, got a, a, since we're already probably over. I mean, are, I don't want to. I don't want to delve into Harvard. We that that needs more digestion. Anyway. Oh, right, the Harvard thing. We will definitely talk about that next week. That the, needs that some serious digestion. Full show, and yeah. we are of course talking about the Harvard women's hockey <clears throat> kerfluffle. So, Alan Walsh, NHL hockey agent. Uh, Extraordinaire. <laughs> Extraordinaire. Uh, social media influencer and genuine uh, shift disturber. No. Tweeted. Uh, he tweeted this week about Jan uh, Sperner of the Rimowski Oceanic getting ah, his 20th goal of the season. Mm-hmm. Or was it? Or was it later than that? Um, I don't see the. Um, now. Well, it, his updated it, stats show that he has 23 goals, so. It would have been his 23rd goal. Now, if you look at elite prospects for this young man, you're going to notice something somewhat curious to the jaded casual observer um he is indeed a draft prospect for the 2023 draft um he is also unmentioned by anything but nhl central scouting fc hockey not mentioned dauber hockey not mentioned smart scouting not mentioned um, McCain, uh, McKean's hockey, not mentioned. And then we see Alan Walsh's tweet on March 12th, um, uh, mentioning that he is a 2023 NHL draft revelation scoring his 23rd goal of the season. Yes. Alan Walsh used the word revelation <laughs> to describe what we can suspect is one of his clients. Just a hunch. Um, it's, it's probably a good bet that if he's using the words revelation about somebody, he's probably representing them. <laughs> now, for those of you who don't pay close attention, 
Um, the way the NHL ranks, uh, NHL Central Scouting ranks prospects is they do it in four basic buckets. NHL or North American skaters, so people playing this season, their first draft eligible season in North America, and who are general skaters, forwards and defensemen. Same for players playing their draft eligible season in Europe or the rest of the world. So that's two buckets. And then goaltenders for the same two. So for him to be ranked 85th North American skater, on the surface, sounds like he's a sure thing to be drafted. But when you add in the goaltenders and the European skaters, it probably means that if he gets drafted, it's going to be in the sixth or seventh round. That said, if he goes undrafted, there is a 99.9% chance that he shows up in someone's, in at least one NHL team's uh, development camp. Development camp this offseason. 99.9. I don't think Alan Walsh is going to rest until. He's probably going to call like five general managers and say, I'm not going to be able to find time, or I may have difficulty finding time to negotiate player X. Um, between now and the draft, um, unless, uh, unless I know, you know, what you're, unless I have an idea of what you're doing at the draft. I mean, he probably isn't going to put it in terms that blunt, but I, I expect him to negotiate ruthlessly for as many clients as he can possibly manage to gain an advantage for, including, uh, Spriner. I mean, yeah, he's just – I can't find his name. You start searching around to see where else he's – and I can't find his name except in other mentions. He doesn't have a number or – No, uh, like – and you look at the uh, – even if you look at his current – his team's uh, total scoring for the year, it's not like he's blowing away the rest of his team or – He's certainly not blowing away the queue. Uh, well, scoring. I mean, the old the old saying of "there's no D in the queue." I mean, I mean, do, does is, that down does that downplay his forty points in fifty five games? It might if he weren't fifth in scoring on a team that's. <laughs> okay. Are they in some way stacked or something statistically? I mean, I mean, ahead of him, uh, you've got William Dumoulin, a uh, 19-year-old out of Albuquerque, New Mexico, um, a right wing. And then you've got Julian Bayland, a 19-year-old out of Quebec, and Luca Veralt, a 20-year-old out of uh, out of um, Ram- uh, Ramoski. Oh, homeboy, home hometown boy, yeah, Ramoski, Quebec. And those guys have fifty-two, forty-seven, and forty-three points. So he's not far off from the leader. Luca needs to eat a sandwich. A, I mean, you've got three overagers there, realistically. Um, and then, I mean, even, I mean, sure, Spurn- uh, Spinar is uh, only seventeen. He's 17 from the Czech or 18. Republic. He's listed at 18. 
Or it, it, this is his 17-year-old season. He started the season at 17. Oh, okay. Um, that's the way that uh, Hockey DB uh, puts them in the uh, in the in the team stats for that year, whatever year, whatever age they start the year at. Okay. Um, but you know, two or three of the guys are the three of the top players are all over the age of. 18 at the start of the year. And then you've got uh, Alexandre uh, Blaze, uh, or who is a, who started the year as a 16 or 17 year old. Um, who's got 41 and 59. Um, he should be eligible next year for next year's draft. But I, as I said, I don't necessarily anticipate him being drafted, but I did find it amusing that, Allen uh, took the time to tweet. Um, sure, you know the twenty-three goals is certainly an accomplishment. Um, no, I just get the feeling that this young man is an Allen Walsh. Um, he's, there's represents no way he's not an Allen Walsh client. He's second <laughs> on the team in goal scoring, behind Julian <laughs> Beland. And he's just getting his he's just getting his client's name out there, you know, getting a little buzz going, you know. Alan, Alan is Alan. We're the marketer. Alan, he's going to you know sell his 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 product and and I just I I don't know. I mean, I'm looking at I'm looking at that. Uh, who is that? No, I was looking at a name. I'm looking at that Alexander Blaze that, that's only he's listed as 17. Uh, he actually has seven goals, but he has 34. Assists. He's got stats like a defenseman. Yeah, he does. <laughs> 41 points in 59 games, but only seven goals. He's definitely a distributor. <laughs> and that's that boys and girls is where we leave you thank you hockey fans for listening this week share the show let us know what you think let us know what questions you have um tweet us uh dm us your playoff predictions um your hot seat i was gonna say tell us your hot seat gms uh your goalie carousel uh picks or not goalie carousel but coaching carousel picks See who you think is uh, – let us know who you think is going to be uh, vacating their office really soon. Have a great week, and we will be back uh, next Sunday. Take care.